There's something that I think is really positive happening in many of the cities in the United States right now. Now, it might surprise you that a pastor in a church says that usually we say only negative things are happening in the city. There are some beautiful things happening in some of the urban areas of the United States. What is happening, often among, of all people, artists, is that people who love their cities and see the difficulties in their cities are, are wanting to put some beautiful spaces in the midst of some of the most struggling areas. Uh, healthy communities, right in the midst of what they, they find to be dying communities. And, and one of the uh, places is happening in Detroit, Michigan, uh, a Heidelberg project. It's a, it's a group of artists that saw their city and they started this Heidelberg project that they said on their website is rooted in the need to improve the under-resourced and the horribly blighted parts of Detroit. Let me tell you what they do. They, they go and they get children and then they give them art lessons and they work with them. And then they send their children out to bring their friends and their family members. And they go to <clears throat> different parts of Detroit and they try to build some beautiful things into the places where everything is being absolutely torn down. Let me show you a couple of the pictures there of some of the things they have done. Uh, this is one. <laughs> You can just see the children who have come and they've done this with their family and their friends. And I have a second one with the same car in front of it so that you can see that, see that also. Um, their hope is that for the children growing up in that part of Detroit, that instead of only seeing bombed out buildings and burned down buildings and people dealing drugs and gangs taking over, that they'll be able to walk through their community and see some beautiful places. And they'll be able to know that there is still beauty in this world and that they can be a part of bringing about. They can go into their community and they, they can know that there is still hope. I'll tell you, I read through the, uh, the website of the Heidelberg Project and I can see that the people there love their city. And yet they are brutally honest about the problems of their city and so many of the things that have led to it. But they do deeply believe that if they can plant some uh, beautiful places in their cities, it will make a difference. If they can have some healthy communities within the dying communities, it can make a difference. Now, does that make sense to you? If it does, then you're going to understand the sermon today. <laughs> if you can take that and, and take that notion and put it on a much bigger, infinitely bigger, infinitely a wiser, infinitely more effective way, that is exactly God's plan for the world that He loves. That in this world that God knows is deteriorating and that there's so much about it that isn't right. God loves the world. He loves the world so much that he came. But as he's doing his transforming work in lives and among people and offering hope to people for whom he has come in Jesus Christ. He is planting in communities all over the world. Some beautiful communities. Some beautiful spaces that represent his own beauty. So that people can say it and know that God is here and know what he's like and know that he loves us. And in our seventh article in the story of our faith, where we've come to the point last, last few weeks of seeing that God loves the world and that he came in Jesus and that he, he gives to us his spirit. Today we come to article seven, which is about us. It's about the church and what we are supposed to be. I'll read you a part of what we've written in this. Hopefully you'll get hold of these to look at it. We believe 
that the true church began at Pentecost, that day in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit of God came in a new and fresh way, and that the church is made up of persons from every nation. When God's done, every tribe, every people group, every language, all of whom have been made right with God. You see, first that has to happen. But through, uh, by God's grace, through faith alone in Christ alone, the, these members of God the Father's eternal family are also reconciled to one another and united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which Jesus Christ is the head. This true church is manifest, it's seen, it's made known in local churches. I'm going to stop right there because that's what I, I want us to think about. The, the story that we've seen, you know it, the story of our faith that we've been going through, is that God spoke everything in, into being by His power through His Word. And when He was done with His creation, the world that He had made, He said, was very good. And a part of what was very good was even human life, we were made in his image. And, and when things were good, then God was at the center of our lives. You read it in Genesis chapter 2. God was at the center of our lives. We were right with him. God was God. But also he gave us this beautiful responsibility of making a difference in this world. We were right with one another. And what wasn't right was when, when a person was alone because God has always existed as three in one and it wasn't good for human beings made in God's image to be alone. We were meant to live in relationship, right? <laughs> so so we created, we're created to be able to have community and relationship where that relationship was right. And we were given the opportunity to make a difference in this world. His vice regents, care for the world that I made, uh, rule over it so that it remains very good. But then Genesis 3 happened. And what it started with kicking God out of the right place of it, uh, in our lives. God had, had already told us that I, what I'll give you is good. And we said, no, I don't think what, the way God wants me to live is good. I have a better idea. The way I do it is be better. And it's the same thing happens with us every day, doesn't it? This, this, this enmity, is God's way good or is my own? And so people went their own way. Uh, Eve and, and Adam went their own way. And what happened was the relationship with God was broken. They had to hide from Him. Their own lives are, were disturbed they were not at peace. For the first time, they felt shame. Their relationship with one another was broken. They blamed one another, just as we continue to do. And the relationship with the world was broken. This world, just like the, the people in Detroit said, is horribly blighted because of all that has happened in the world. And it started with, with what was right with God, with Him being at the center, uh, was changed. We put ourselves into His place. But God continues to love the world. God continues to love the world. So as he looks at this world, he sees what you and I see. He sees the wars and the difficulties and the evil that is happening, all these things. God sees it, but he loves the world. But he came to be able to offer forgiveness of the past and, and hope for the future. He gives his spirit to us, Article chapter 6 in the story of our faith. And today I want us to see that one of the things God is doing is he is planting places of beauty, places of beauty into this difficult world where our lives can be remade and where we can reflect what he is like, glorify him to a hurting world. You want to think about that? It's the church. So let's start by asking what the church is. And the way I want to put it is, if you listen to L as she was reading, the church is God's masterpiece. If the Heidelberg Project was made up mostly of artists, 
God is the ultimate artist. <laughs> he looked down into this difficult world and he saw some things that are valuable and he says, I'm going to paint something that is different. So that in a book of Ephesians, if you were here when I did that whole series of messages, I called it God's manifesto about what we are supposed to be. It's about the church. He has this argument that he says in the very beginning, from, from even before he created the world, God had a plan of creating something that is beautiful and making known His glory to the entire universe. And, and He took objects to put into His masterpiece that are very unexpected, people who'd walked away from Him. But He's going to get this done, and at the very end of the argument in chapter 2, verse 10, this is what we read. Paul says, We, talking about the church, and many of the people didn't want to be in that we. Do you remember? Jew and Gentile didn't want to be in a we together. They wanted to be right with God, but not with one another. No, no, no. We, he said, are God's, and I don't know what your translations have. This one has masterpiece, because uh, I put it there. But most of it say workmanship or, or whatever. But the word that Paul used was poema, like a poem. We are his Work of art created, how? In Christ Jesus. For what purpose? To do good works at last that our lives would be good again. These are the things God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when our daughter Heather was only five years old, we always have art projects around. When she was just five, uh, I think it was Chris who began engaging with her in an art project. She took a piece of cardboard, and at Christmas time, she cut the cardboard, making an ornament, uh, into the form of an angel. She started with that angel shape, and then we took whatever we had around, remnants of fabric and rickrack, old buttons, lace and tassels, and at the, put it all together, glued it all together, and on the back she put a clothespin so that she could put... See, I didn't know you'd already put it up there, but until I saw all of you looking up there. There it is. That's what she made, uh, Heather made when she was five. You can see all the pieces that are there. Now, what we do in our home at Christmas is every year we give our kids an ornament. And then so we have these boxes, like Heather's box and Brandon's box, where we have all, keep all their ornaments. So after the Christmas season was over, we took all the ornaments off the tree, and this went into her Heather box of ornaments. She forgot about it. So the next year... When we took out the box, she took out the um, Heather box. She took this. Now, it's nine inches big, so it's way too big for an ornament. But still, she put that thing up on the tree. And I'll never forget, she pulled back and looked at it with so much awe. And then she said, I can't believe I could have ever made anything so beautiful. <laughs> it, it's almost with that childlike wonder that God looks at you and me. And it's not like he couldn't imagine it. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 1 says he's always imagined it. This is what he always wanted to do in our individual lives and in us as a church family and in this whole church. He always had in mind something absolutely beautiful that he would remake out of us. Taking us as we are and beginning to invest himself in us. The, the masterpiece that he is making before he is done is going to be made up of persons, each of whom, is, as he would say, at one point we were absolutely dead to God because of our own transgressions and sins. We have no boasting. But he loves us because of his grace. 
He draws us into His family. He comes and takes our place. He finds a way to forgive us. And then He brings us into His masterpiece so that this family that's going to show this world that there is still hope, that there is still beauty in the midst of a hurting and devastated world is going to be a family of, of, of once dead to God but now alive to Him, once lost but now found, once just a path that we were going was, was sinful and self-directed, but now at last we're beginning to know God and beginning to give our lives to Him. Once lives absolutely messed up, becoming more and more messed up, now beginning to be remade people. Made up of people everywhere, from all sorts of backgrounds, brought together, and when we worship and serve together and as we are growing, we declare to the entire universe that God is here. That God loves the world and that there is hope. Uh, In a community like ours, He places us right here in Pasadena where we, just like the people in Detroit, know that we continue to have difficulties in our communities and in our families and in our schools. And He places us here so that we can show the love of Christ. And and He wants us to declare to, to this community, I live in this place. Read the book of Ephesians. We become His building. Together people should see us here and know that God is here. He says, I'm going to show the world that I love them. I'm going to show them what I am like. My family in that community there in Southern California is going to call other people to me. We are His workmanship. Now I've got to stop here for a minute because with all this idealism and passion of your pastor... I want you to know I am realistic about who we are. Do you remember when Denny Valesi was here? Do you remember what he always called us? You're a piece of work. And so we are. Uh, I know that I, as your pastor, am not perfect. And I know you aren't too. I know that. And therefore, if I'm not and none of you are, then we're not. So don't be surprised if you say we really have problems here. But we are a people in the making. One of the things that just makes me weep, uh, I pulled it back up again this week, is a book by David Kinnaman. It's called Unchristian. He is uh, one of the Barna research groups. He went around to younger adults in in places like, like ours to find out what people thought about churches like ours, especially big churches like ours. And this is what he found out, that people in looking at us think that we are, let's see if this sounds like a, a, a beautiful piece of art, judgmental, self-righteous, old-fashioned, caring only about ourselves, only interested in political power, insensitive to people different from ourselves, and boring. Are we really boring? <laughs> I just say, I read that again, I wept. And I do, don't you? It's not a pretty picture. And I know a part of it is, is, is uh, bad press and it's, it's not true. I know a part of it is there. But I just want to say today that what God wants to do among us here together is something so much more beautiful than all of that. He wants us to show the world His love for the world, His compassion, His his justice, and the hope that He can give. And He has said that He will help us. 
He has found a way to forgive our past. He's given his spirit to us. And he's brought us into one another's lives, which I'm going to show you in just a few moments, so that his masterpiece, his beauty, can be seen in this world. So at the end of this first point, what we are is a masterpiece of God. I want to show you these astounding verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. In God bringing us together and putting us in this community, God's intent is this, that now, through the church, His manifold wisdom is going to be made known to the rulers and authorities even in the heavenly realms. They're going to look at this group and they're going to say, God is here and that's what He's doing. And then at the end, to God, verse, verse 21 of Ephesians 3, be glory. Remember, where do people see that God is here and what He's like? Well, in the church and in Christ Jesus. We'll say, of course, in Christ Jesus. If you see Him, you see the Father. <laughs> but no, also in us. The people who may never read a Bible should be able to show up here among the family and they say, God is in this place and that's what He's like. To Him be glory throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's the first thing I want you to see. A local church like ours is in place here to show the world what God is like. We're His workmanship. We're His poem. Second, the making of that masterpiece. I mean, how, how is God going to get us from where we were, Ephesians 2, 1 and through 3, we were dead to Him. Well, we know He's going to make us alive through faith in Christ. But then he brings us, and yet as he brings us to him, many of us who have walked with him a long time, and Bill even maybe been in Lake Avenue Church 55 years, are not yet whole. You know, so how is he going to get us from where we are to where he says we will be? Where each one of us is conformed to the image of Jesus. And all of us together are all that he would have us to be. How is he going to do that? And the only thing I could think about, you know, my son is an artist and he helps me with this stuff, is that a, this movement that's called reclamation art. Reclamation art. There, there are many young artists today who are saying that what we want to do is to do art that seeks to repair damaged things in nature in ways that restore them and show beauty. And so I started looking at this, and one of the most interesting projects comes out of the, an area close to my home area in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it, it comes out of Carnegie Mellon University. And there are three artists there that have drawn together all sorts of people, sociologists and landscape architects and all sorts of people. But the three artists are Bob Bingham, Tim Collins, and Ray Cogato. There, there's a part of Pittsburgh. I don't, it's a steel town, you know. And so the, all the industrial waste from the steel has been dumped in certain areas. And one of those areas is a 230-acre site called the Nine Mile Run Site. That is, I'm just telling you, it's ugly. It's called a brownfield by all the people who are there. And uh, I think we have a picture of the whale. Look at that. What happens is as the steel mill dumps its waste, it's called slag. And in the midst of one of the major places of dumping that slag, there's a river that once ran through it. But what has happened to that river? Well, it's just choked with pollution from all, all of the waste that has come here. Well, the uh, artist said... Can we start with what is and see that it might become something beauty, beautiful? They would no longer allow it to be called a brownfield. They said it is a place of potential beauty and art. And they said, look at what, what's still in this place that, that can be worked with. And they found there 144 species of plant life. 
And they said, well, maybe that plant life can draw some other things. Does some of that draw butterflies? And they found that some of it did and started introducing butterflies into it. They said, could some of that soil ever be reclaimed? Could the watershed ever again be made pure? I'll show you just one thing that happened from, you remember the slag, don't you? Look at that. Look at that. Now, I'm telling you, this is what God wants to do with us and through us here in this community. Do you see that? He, he takes people like us and he plants parts of his family into communities like this one and says, you live for me in that place. And you go from that church when you gather and, and you show the world my compassion and, and, and my justice. And, and there's going to be something more beautiful that comes than you could ever imagine. Uh, how does that process? You who are note takers, write fast. You who listen slowly, listen fast. <laughs> I'm going to walk through this. What does he do? I call it God's masterpiece making process. Number one, God sees us not as we are, but for what he meant us to be in the first place. He, he, he has this divine vision of those kinds of artists that I have told you about. Do you know that famous quote from Michelangelo after he had sculpted one of his famous sculptures? How did you do it? He said, I saw the angel in the marble... And I carved until I set him free. I, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And that's what God says to you and me. He says, I see what I made you to be. And if you will respond to me, I will put the thing that kept you from me as far as east is from the west. I'll forgive you. And I'll begin working on you until you are set free. He sees us for what he intended us to be. Number two, God established a way to make, I put it, unright people right. Does that make any sense to you? That in this masterpiece, he, he's going to take people like us whose lives are marred by sin ourselves and God is holy and just. And one of the beautiful parts about God is that he has said evil matters and that it will be dealt with. You know, one of the worst things, if you can just read about it in the courtroom settings, is if a person has done some terrible crime and then they're let off without any justice. Everybody just cries out against that. God said, ultimately that will not happen. I will make sure that evil is dealt with. But you know the problem, don't you? The very people that he loves, namely us, we've all engaged in evil. Anybody want to own up to it? And so that needs to be dealt with. How on earth is God going to take people like us who are unright and declare us to be right and still to have a good world? And he's found a way to do it. He came in Jesus. He lived the life we should have lived, that right life we should have lived, that none of us have. And then he died the death we should die, but now we don't have to. So that in Christ, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, God has found a way to declare the unjust just and still to be holy himself. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's the message of the gospel, the good news. God has found a way to be able to bring us into the masterpiece. Number three, God then, when we simply respond to what he has done, we trust Jesus, forgives, and then he gives himself to us. When you trust Jesus, if you've never done it, he will, do, he will cast your sins as far as east is from the west. Hallelujah. 
And then knowing that we have patterns that are hard to break, He gives Himself to us, the Holy Spirit, so that when we leave this time of faith, we have a new moral capability. I keep saying it, tomorrow can be different from yesterday because God gives Himself to us. But that's not all He gives. Number four, God also creates in communities a community, a church, and He places each one who follows Jesus into the community. The community, the church, is to be the place where we get into one another's lives. It's, it's, if I change metaphors, the soil in which, which the roots go in and, and our lives begin to flourish and to grow. But in that new community, what, what happens is that not only have we been made right with God, remember Genesis 2? God has to be back in the center of our lives. But other relationships were broken too, right? Other relationships were with people. And in the church, those relationships are to be reconciled. The dividing walls that have since Genesis 3 separated people from people come down. Which ones? The answer is all of them in Christ. Race, age, musical tastes, amount of money that we have, amount of education that we have. In Christ they're down and we become brothers and sisters in Christ planted together as the place where we are to grow. We, so we say, oh, but how can I be in that masterpiece? Uh, I have ugly parts in my past. And God says, I know it, but I see beauty in you. We say, but how can I be in it? I'm not good. God says, I know how to make you good. And the place that he gives us for us to see his work happen is here. Number five. Excuse me. That woke you up, didn't it? Number five. God gives each part of his masterpiece, each one of us, an important role to play in his work. He pours down gifts upon us, the gifts of the Spirit. None of us has all of them, but all of us has one. So if you come to Christ and you say, but I don't, what gifts do I have? I can only tell you. Get involved in serving in the church and, and eventually you'll see how God uses you may not be that a test will help you to see it, but get involved in serving one another and God will show you he will make himself known in special ways. Each one of us is important to the masterpiece. Carol Kenyon, who's one of our pastors, will say, you know, in many great masterpieces, you have such different things. You have a very vibrant piece next to something bland, but both are absolutely necessary for it to be a beautiful piece. And the same thing is true of us. There are all sorts of different gifts. We need one another, each one of us important to his masterpiece. Number six, then God says, do life together. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake doing life together. You need to do what we're doing now, so bless you for being here today. (laughs) Bless you for being here. We come together, and as we come together in worship, we praise God, we find a way to do it. We open the Word and hear our Father's Word, so when we hear it together, sometimes, don't you find, we hear it in a different way. We give, as Pastor Jeff said, to try to further His work in, in the lives of the people here and in our community and in our world. The question I, I sometimes have is, how does a people as diverse as God's eternal global family ever do this? Because we're so different and there are things, you know, There are things that one person likes that another one doesn't. How are we ever going to do this doing life together? And and so many have just resorted to that we're going to split off and just be with people like ourselves. 
What's going to happen is you and I aren't going to be able to grow. We need one another. The only way it's going to work is to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 or 6 together and to see that not one of us deserves to be in the family. Not one of us deserves to be in the masterpiece. We are all, by our own nature, we should be objects of God's wrath against the evil that we've done. But it's by His grace that we're saved and by His grace that we get to be here. So that we have you know, that humble gratitude if we all come to church just say, I can't believe I get to be a part of the family of God, then what's going to happen is we'll give up personal rights because it's not our church anyway. We should, we're just thankful to be here. Any amens? And can I show you the way that, that, that it's only, the only way it's going to work? Philippians 2, 3 through 5. The only way it's going to work. And they were fighting with one another there in, in, in Philippi. So he says, here's the way it's going to work. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But we're all drawn to that. <laughs> Instead, in humility, value others' interests as greater than your own. Um, what does that look like? Well, it's like this. In your relationships, you have to have the same mind, the same attitude as Jesus did who though he was in very nature God, was willing to empty himself of all of those rights and give his life for us even to the cross. Do that. Do life together. And we'll reflect his beauty. I don't know if there's anything more important I can say about the church than that. Then number seven. As we're growing together and ministering to one another and becoming what he'd have us to be where to go and declare his glory, show the world what he's like, uh, showing the world his goodness, showing love so that the world is different because we are here. And then what we should be doing is saying, and it's not just for me, if I can be in, isn't there hope for you? <laughs> Welcoming people into the family. And so you say, what sort of people should be welcomed into the masterpiece here at 393 North Lake Avenue? And I've put this down. Um, we should only welcome the kinds of people that Jesus welcomed. And if you wonder what kind he welcomed, read the Gospel of Luke. It'll shock you. Um, we should only welcome into our local family people who are made in the image of God. Just the ones that God, in whom God still sees beauty. Because don't you see it? When God sees what's happened to us, he doesn't see junk that's to be thrown away. He sees beauty that's to be restored. Who are we to welcome? We're only to welcome those that Jesus came to rescue. May I again show you for the hundredth time my favorite gospel verses, John 3:16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, it's a pretty broad word, don't you think? Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. You see, that's what all of us were and all are apart from Him, but don't have to. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world. He sent His one and only Son into this world to rescue the world through Him. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So this masterpiece that God is making, <laughs> what a ma how on earth can he do it? I mean, the, 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 we're the objects. 
that he uses to pull into it. And it was costly to bring us in. But I'm telling you, when he's done, we and the entire masterpiece will be beautiful. Oh, my time is gone, so let me just, the last part, part three. So this masterpiece in the making isn't just to be beautiful. It also has a mission. The masterpiece in the making has a mission. It's kind of like those reclamation art projects. They're in the Heidelberg Project in Detroit. It's not just to have uh, something beautiful, but it's to have an impact in the whole community, to, to make a difference there. Do you, do you see that? And the art project there in Pittsburgh isn't just to have beauty, uh, beauty but, but actually to transform a whole area. And in the same way, in this much bigger way, the making of this local church and God's placing us here in this in, incredible place, right here on the corner of the 210 and Lake Avenue, gives us a great opportunity to declare the beauty and the glory of, our, of God. Now, in what way are we engaged in the mission? Some of it is very personal and individual. Uh, what happens is as you come to church and as you're involved in people's lives and uh, as we're worshiping with one another and serving alongside of one another and praying for one another, sometimes correcting one another, we need to do that in church, don't we? Often encouraging one another, don't give up, don't give up. Uh, as that is happening, our lives should become more of what they were. And in a place like ours where we, we, we have uh, such a great location, people will always come, if we're healthy, from, from a large number of areas because it's easy to find this church. I can always tell people where I'm the pastor. They know this place. So people will come in, and so, but sometimes what people will do, they'll, they'll come from a long way away, and some of you do, and then when you go back into your families, communities, businesses, and your schools, you represent Christ there. People should see that God is remaking you um, and they will give glory to God. Now, I, I know what you'll say, but I'm not perfect yet. So do I have to become perfect before I show His glory? No, no, because then you never will. What you and I show to this world is that God is actually changing us. The people that you, so you have to develop relationships and friendships with people who watch you. And they should see that your life is different today from what it was a year ago. It, it, you may not always see it, but they should be able to see it, and they should be able to say, well, what's happening there? And then you have the opportunity to say, I'm glad you saw something different. Um, and believe it or not, give me a hearing, believe it or not, it's happening because of my faith in Jesus. How, how did Paul Peter put it in 1 Peter 1.12? Live such good lives out in the world, so that even though the people out there may accuse you of doing wrong. They're going to see your life and then glorify God. Uh, so you're, you're going to go out there and, and I, by God's grace, we're going to glorify God wherever He has put us, individually. And, and I hope you'll be able to say, you know, why don't you come into my local church, the part of the masterpiece, and, and see where it is that I'm growing. Come to church with me. And what I'm sure is going to happen is They'll come in and they say, wow, that guy who stood up there sure talks a lot. <laughs> or, or, or they'll say, you know, the, the music that they do isn't always what I listen to in my iPod. Or, or they're going to look around and they say, what on earth are you doing spending time with people who look like that? And you're going to say, you're right, that's a good hard question. Uh, but let me just tell you, it's not about those things. It's about the God who has put us all together. 
And we're finding ways to, to actually live life as a part of this masterpiece together. And what's happening is, as that happens, my life is beginning to be changed. It's amazing. But what it's all about is about God and what He's doing in our lives. And He can do the same thing in yours if you'll let Him. See, I'm praying that that will happen. So a part of that mission is that we go individually to glorify Him. But a part of the mission is what we do together. And this is consistent through the Bible. We, we worship together. We get into small groups together. The gifts are ministered to one another. We've got to do that. And Jesus would say this, just before you go to the cross, this is the way that people are going to know that you are my followers. Do you remember the answer? If you have love one for another. You see, that's something that can't happen uh, individually. <laughs> it has to happen as God's people are actually loving one another. And then he'd pray about this. John chapter 17. Father, I'm not just going to pray for the 12 disciples I'm leaving. I'm going to pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And this is my prayer, that they will be one. Just in the way that you and I are one. They're going to show the world this oneness. And when the world sees it, they will know that you have sent me. See, that can't happen in isolation. And so the way that I've always looked at this is God puts us into a, just like those reclamation art projects, He puts us into a community like this, and we are to make a difference here, in this place where He has put us. Yes, when you go from here, individually you do, but together we bore down upon this and become, by His grace, a part of His beauty representing him in Pasadena. That's why we focus so much. What's, what's happening in Pasadena? Our schools are hurting. But we're here as a part of God's glory so, so that our people in the schools should know that they're not alone. God's people are here, you see, and we care, and we're going to get involved. We have no money, they say, and we will say, look at our budget. We, we may not have a whole lot either. But we're here, and we'll make a difference together in our schools, where there's homelessness or people are feeling alienated, not a part of society. We're here, you know, welcoming people and making a difference. My prayer is that Pasadena will be a different place because God's people are here. Do you pray about that? So even though we're a regional church, our focus, we bore down upon this community. Now what's always happened, according to the biblical pattern, People come to Jesus, like happened here 115 years ago. We come into family together. Uh, we build one another up. We grow in our faith. We make a difference in this community. And then we see, just like in Detroit and Pittsburgh, there are other parts that are blighted as well. We'd better send some people over there, right? And they'll talk about Jesus. And people will come to faith. They will. And then when they come to faith in Jesus, we'll say, well, you need to know this. You're a part of this kind of a family. They'll first think, just like we do, I'm not sure I want to be with some of those people. We'll say, get over it. Uh, it's his family, not yours or mine. You, we're blessed to be in it, just like I preach to you all the time. And so we'll come in and we'll minister with one another and we'll bore down on our communities and bring some of the blessing and beauty of God to that community. And then that second community will plant another one. Same thing will happen. And, 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 and the first one will do the same until we have these ever-growing concentric circles of the beauty of God in the communities. Do you see this? Is this clear? And then churches like ours, as we have done throughout our history, will see parts of the world where they, 
They're filled with people that God loves, but haven't even heard the name of Jesus. And we will make big sacrifices in our financial giving and in the sending sometimes of our very children to carry the good news that has changed our lives to places where they have never heard. And I, as your pastor, am so committed to us continuing to do what we have done because it is a part of what the Bible says the families to do. The masterpiece is going to reach the entire world and we get a chance to be a part of that mission. So the two pieces, I want us to be sending people to where the gospel's never heard. I want us to send energetically and sacrificially again. And I want us to be looking around our own community and planting again. I want us to make sure that parts of this area that we drive past, that we say there needs to be some of God's beauty seen right there. You know, even as I have been thinking about this and praying about this, God has been putting this on the hearts of other people too. Some of you may already know about this. In fact, last summer when Albert Tate, Pastor Tate and I were in Oxford together, he came to me and said, God's been putting that same thing on my heart. And uh, at first I thought, I don't want you to be listening to God speak to you in that way. Um, I've always known that this is coming because from the very first time I ever came to this church, the first time I heard Pastor Tate, he gave announcements one morning. And I said, the Spirit of God is on that man. Those are the most spiritual announcements I've ever heard, as well as the funniest ones. So I knew that a time was coming that, that we would maybe have the opportunity to be involved in bringing some of God's beauty beyond just this local gathering of God's people here to another place. For a long time I thought it might be a long way away. Maybe he'd have to go to Wichita, Kansas or, or uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. But I've been praying that it, we might be able to be more in keeping with the vision along this 210 corridor that I've just been praying about. How can we bring some of God's beauty, some of his glory, to this area. So Albert, why don't you come up and just tell us what the Lord's been saying to you. I'm going to stay behind you to try to correct you in case any of it's wrong. And then I'll come back up. Smooth segue. Smooth. Um, this tension for me started when I was in Bible college. Uh, I was a senior there in an all-white Bible college in Florence, Mississippi, and I was in a methods of evangelisms class. And our project, our class project, was to go out um, and, and, and find out what our local churches are doing for evangelism. Well, we brought those reports back in class, and I'll never forget, I was sitting there in class, and a young uh, white brother brought his report back from his, from his uh, church, and he said, well, what we do, we do EE, uh, 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 evangelism explosion, explosion evangelism, where we go and we knock door to door in neighborhoods and we walk down streets and when we open the door we greet them and we engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask them those questions and we share the gospel with them. But then he said, when we get to someone and they open a the door and they're African American, uh, we don't engage them with the gospel. We don't share the story of Jesus Christ with them. We give them the business card of the local black pastor in the community. Immediately, everything within me began to rise up. But, but to my dismay, when I looked around the classroom, I saw everyone affirming. As if, yeah, that's the thing to do. Even my professor affirmed it. So as I had a red flag waving, no one else saw it. But I felt the tension. Because what I saw the gospel and how I saw the church in this Bible, it didn't look like that. It didn't sound like that. That was the beginning of this tension. Not too long after that, there are 
some who I would call just prophets here at Lake Avenue Church. Uh, Myra Nolan and uh, Jeff Madisich, Kirk Gibson and John Wilson. They were struggling with student ministries because they saw that the community uh, wasn't reflected in the seats and in the ministry that in the students that were coming. So they wanted to be more diverse. And as they looked around, it doesn't get any any wider than John Wilson, Jeff Madisich and Kirk Gibson. Um, So they said. God is speaking to us. We have to do something differently. So they went away and they prayed. And the Lord spoke. And God said, you need to intentionally bring someone who's a minority and empower them and put them in leadership. And it is from that time away in prayer, I received a call down in Jackson, Mississippi. And I packed up and I moved out with La Rosa. And we, we came here to Pasadena, California. And I'm telling you, uh, I, we, we had no idea what we were in for. We got here and saw all kinds of walks of life. Uh, I told you, I said many times, we, there's so many ethnicities at Lake Avenue. It was stuff we had never heard of. I never heard of Armenians. I just didn't know <laughs> what that was. I never heard of that before. <laughs> One of the first families that loved on La Rosa and I were Gil and Carrie Gazanian. Mm. Took us out and started to love on us. We only had one car. They had an old car. They gave us their car. My mama has been loving Armenians ever since. <laughs> but I begin to see the breadth of this family and what, this, what, what it means for all, all walks of life, all ethnicities to come and do life together and worship together. And we're not a perfect church, but we were at least asking the right questions, wrestling, saying, can we really go to camp without making sure that everybody can come, regardless of what color they are, regardless of what class they are, regardless of what their family status is? Can we make sure that everyone can experience this gospel? No handing off, no making a pass, but making sure that everyone had access to this gospel of Jesus Christ. We were asking the right questions. Then Dr. Waybright came. And he began to preach on books like Ephesians. And for the very first time, I began to get a theological voice for what I sensed in my spirit all of my life. This voice where he talked about in the, in the book of Ephesians, this manifesto of the church where the walls of separation were coming down between Jews and Gentiles. People that didn't want to worship together were forced to worship together. They weren't given a pass. They weren't given a, a way out. They were forced to come together and worship. I don't care what kind of music you like, Paul says. Paul says, we're going to sing it all. We're going to sing songs spiritual songs and hymns. We're going to sing everything. Eventually, one Sunday, we'll get to something you like, maybe. But we're going to do it all. (laughs) Because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. This wall that divides us has come down and this transforming gospel changes our lives. I begin to get a picture of what the church is called to be. Then the Lord said, through this vision, Albert, I want you to go and I want you to plant a church. And I want this church to be planted and to serve this 210 corridor, to serve the communities of Monrovia, DeWarty, and Azusa. And I said, Lord, there are a whole lot of churches. Why why do you want me to go and add on? And and new church plants, they don't have budgets and insurance. (laughs) And La Rosa said, amen, Lord, they don't have. They don't have pensions and stuff. Lord says, Albert, they're... There are a lot of pews, there are a lot of steeples, but we don't have enough churches preaching this gospel. 
We don't have enough churches. As a matter of fact, you can't have enough churches preaching a gospel, a gospel that doesn't allow you to sit in pews and be comfortable, a gospel that pushes you out and say, there are problems in our school district, we're going to get involved, a gospel that says, there are problems with the poor, we're going to get involved and we're going to help and come alongside, there are problems with teen moms, we're going to show up and we're going to get involved, there are problems with people living on one side of the freeway and the other side of the freeway and these cultural divides where people don't come together, we're going to break all of those walls down, so yeah, yeah, we need more gospel churches. You can't have enough gospel churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not watered down pulpits, but pulpits that preach the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. We need more of them. You can't have enough. So God said, Albert, you got to go. Called Dr. Waybright. Dr. Waybright said, no, you can't go. <laughs> and then he said, okay, 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 you can go. But we, we got to go well. So I, I, I'll say this as I close. Uh, LaRosa and I have prayed and cried many a nights, wrestling about what this looks like. Um, Dr. Waybright and Adam Stiles, the head of our ministry council, we've gotten together and we've prayed. And I think I did most of the crying, but we prayed. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, church. One of the, one of the things that kept LaRosa and I up at night and I, I, I struggle whether I should just expose this, but I'm just going to tell you, I wish I could say that I just don't care what people think, but I really do. I really, really do. One of the fears and one of the cautions that Rosa and I have had is we said it's so important to us that our church family, that they hear this vision from God and that they would embrace it. Um, my, my cynical side says that when, when God is moving, Satan is always busy. Um, one of the greatest tragedies that would be for to say, you know, just, just start these things. Dr. Dr. Waybright and Albert didn't get along. That's why he's leaving. They didn't like each other. Or, or Albert got tired of being at Lake Avenue. He didn't like it, so he, he wanted to go and do something else. Let me, if you don't hear anything else I say, family, hear these words come out of my mouth. Albert Tate loves the Lord God with all his heart. Amen. He loves his wife, his girls, and his family. And I love Dr. Gregory L. Waybright. And I love Lake Avenue Church. Not only do I want to finish well at Lake Avenue Church, I'm not, I'm not leaving. The church wants, we won't start until January, so I'll be here until December, so you've got a long time to deal with me. <laughs> but as I leave, Dr. Waybright, the ministry council, I just want you to know, and the church family, um, I don't, I don't only want to finish well here, but as I go in obedience to do what God has called me to do, I want to make you proud, Amen. and I want to make my church family proud, because ultimately it's all to his glory. Amen. 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 Thank you.